Well, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. This is Scott Hogan, and joining me, as always, is Brad Howyer. Brad, we missed uh, last week, so we're going to kind of play catch-up. I know there's a few things that, uh, big events that finished last week that people say, well, you're just now getting to them, but I guess the, those kind of things seem to happen once in a while. Yeah, that's all right. I mean, uh, you know, the, the the sports world's always full of good stuff at all times, so uh, yeah, I don't think uh, anyone's going to be too disappointed if we uh, talk about some stuff that's about a week older. So, well, of course, what we're referring to mostly would be that the NCAA, both men's and women's tournaments, uh, have concluded for uh, this season. The men's tournament, of course, uh, had all the upsets, but in the end, really the favorite one there with UConn defeating San Diego State, and then the, the women's. Um, with South Carolina getting knocked out by Iowa and then losing to LSU, probably a little bit of a surprise there, but let's, let's start with the men's tournament. We had the really unusual final four UConn uh, dominated the championship game over San Diego state. Um, it, it, I don't know if it was a surprise to a lot of people, but the, the one bugaboo with San Diego state was they, they couldn't consistently score and that, that happens in the championship game. Yeah. Unfortunately, Scott, it was kind of a stinker of a championship game, wasn't it? I mean, uh, it, it got exciting for maybe like two minutes in the second half, if I recall correctly. Uh, San Diego State kind of made a run, and you're thinking, and I think they even got a couple stops maybe when they got down to like five or so, but then UConn hit a three, and that was pretty much all she wrote. But, uh, and I hate to say it, but I mean, it, it really was. It's kind of a stinker of a championship game. Yeah, it was. I, uh, I seemed like I worked that night. So I was listening to a little bit of it and then I watched, uh, quite a bit of the second half, but yeah, it's San Diego state just, well, I think they made that run. They get within six points. And then I think UConn immediately hit a three and then it went back to 11 and beyond. And then it just, uh, ended up, I think, 17 points. Clearly, um, of the teams that got to the Final Four, UConn uh, was the best team um, at that time in the tournament, no doubt about it. Well, UConn, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think they finished fourth in Ken Palm or something like that. How in the world were they a four seed? I mean, I, I just don't get the, you know, the, the how the tournament committee does this sometimes. I mean, you know, they say, hey, play a tough schedule. So Kansas played a, you know, played a tough schedule. You know, they played in the Big 12. They, they had a good non-con. And uh, it just it didn't seem to matter when it came to uh, seeding for Kansas. And, uh, you know, behind Houston and didn't get to play in Kansas City, although it may not have mattered anyway. But uh, I just don't see how UConn being, you know, fourth in the Ken Palm is somehow just a four seed. I mean, I know that's not the only metric that they use. It's, it's not quite that black and white. But if someone is seated fourth in a uh, well-respected metric like Ken Palm, I just can't figure out for the life of me why they're seated uh, fourth, over, you know, fourth in the regional. It seems like you get a couple of those teams every tournament. You just kind of sit back and scratch your head like, really? I think one year, um, wasn't it Kentucky one year was a, an eight or a nine seed? That, and they went, I forget how far they went, maybe even the championship game that year. And everybody was, I think it was year, didn't WSU have to play them that year? Was that yeah, that was year. Yeah, that was the year. WSC was undefeated. Yeah, I mean, and everybody looked at Kentucky and looked at the talent and the record. It's like, how, 
what? Seriously? And I, I think that's kind of the way people, a lot of people approach UConn this year. Is, like you said, a four seed, you're kind of thinking, you know, aren't they, aren't they a two? <laughs> I mean, I would have, th- I would have thought so. I think, uh, uh, Gonzaga, they, they, they were a three, weren't they? And I think they were th- uh, third in the Ken Palm. So uh, it, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, San Diego State, I, th- I felt, was kind of underseated too. Florida Atlantic, 33-3, and three, and they're just, uh, you know, in the 8-9 game. Uh, I, I know it's not an exact science, but it, it really seemed like that the committee really whiffed on uh, some of the seedings this year. Well, and the other thing that um, was pretty much predicted and it, and it came true, the uh, – television ratings were way down for the final four in the championship game without, you know, you hate to say it without the blue bloods, without, without a KU, without a Kentucky or a Duke or, or a Michigan or somebody like that, other than just UConn, um, a lot of people didn't watch. And that, that, that's sad because I, I found it polarizing with the Florida Atlantics and the San Diego States, but um, a lot of people um, lost interest at that point, I guess, lack of a better term well you know all those years when duke makes the final four i mean we still tune in and, and why is it because it's not that we're rooting for duke it's we're rooting for them to lose right absolutely yeah it's the same kind of thing in a lot of other events i mean you know you got the big names in there um and, and it's not that we watch the teams to necessarily win but we we more or less just watch them to you know try trying to pick on a villain to lose and there was really no and, 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 and Scott, frankly, there was just no, oh, what's we're going to look for? There's really no kind of storyline in the Final Four other than the, uh, you know, the underdogs this year. And that's, um, you know, it's unfortunate because I think those teams were really, really good that were in the Final Four this year. Uh, but you're right. It's, uh, you know, without the, without the marquee names, uh, the average fan, I think, just loses interest. Yeah. I, I And actually, well, let's talk about the women's turn, tournament a little bit. On the flip side, uh, the women's final four and championship game shattered records for the women's tournament that they they put up a whole list of other events in the past that the women's tournament surpassed as far as ratings i mean i don't think there was any game better than when iowa and caitlin clark upset south carolina actually got to watch again i was working but i got home and i turned that on about the last oh most of the final quarter i got to watch that was an incredible game. Yeah, it definitely was. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the, the women's tournament. This may have been the most discussed and talked about women's tournaments ever. And, uh, you know, you got the storylines with Caitlin Clark with undefeated South Carolina. I mean, there's a lot of good storylines in the women's Final Four. And, um, boy, it, it, it takes something special to kind of uh, ha- ha- be the bigger storyline compared to the men's. But I, I thought, honestly – uh, even the, even if the TV ratings didn't reflect it, I, I honestly thought that the women's Final Four was by far the more compelling of the two Final Fours. It was, and in my opinion, again, this is no absolutely no disrespect to LSU, but it seemed like that that emotional, hard-fought, um, slaying Goliath, what Iowa did in, in the Final Four against South Carolina, it just didn't seem like um, – it seemed like that took a lot out of them. They didn't have that left to, to beat LSU in that championship game. No, and I, I hate talking about the refs, Scott, but I really felt like they officiated that championship game poorly. You know, one minute they're calling everything, and then the next minute they're calling nothing. 
you know, I thought the third foul on Caitlin Clark was so- – well, actually, the third foul was fine. It was her second foul. I thought that was really, really soft. And when you call that second foul, you know, now, now you got – I, I, I can't remember where I saw this, but there was a long time uh, NCAA basketball official, um, oh, like a, I guess mentor would be the word maybe. You know, he, he worked with the officials a lot in the Final Four. And what he said he used to tell the referees uh, that did the Final Four in the championship game, the fans are not here to see you. Mm-hmm. They want to see the big names out there. They want to, and, and look, and, and right or wrong, you know, agree or disagree, there's a lot of truth in what he says there. You know, I mean, that's not to say that Caitlin Clark or and players like that can just go out and foul the crap out of everybody, but you know, you got to protect those players and enable them the chance to to play in that game. I mean, I recall back in um the '88 Men's National Championship game, you know, Danny Manning had three fouls less than a minute into the second half. Now, I don't know if he if there's a fourth foul anywhere out there. We thought, oh, that could be a fourth foul right there or anything like that, but um. Yeah, he did pick up another foul. And then, you know, if Manning gets a fourth foul or fouls out, you know, now you got Duke 86 reprised and Kansas loses the game. They probably lose by double digits. Yeah, I I think the best thing you can always say about the officials is that you didn't say anything about the officials. Right. Because that means there was nothing nothing you thought was glaringly obvious that they missed or or called that they shouldn't have. Um what, what do you make, Brad? There's been so much um, made of the, 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 the taunting of, at the end of the championship game um, of Caitlin Clark by a thing that she, she has been renowned, known to do. Now, I don't know if she did this in front of uh, opponents throughout the season like the player from LSU was doing. Um, her name, I believe it's Reese is her last name. Angel Reese, I believe, is her name. Angel Reese, yeah. Um, what'd you make of all? I people, I saw one opinion that I just wanted to jump down somebody's throat about that they thought, well, this is what will draw attention to the women's game. This is great for the women's game, and I completely am on the other side of that. I think that's what you do not need, especially at the end of what's a great victory. To me, it kind of took away from what LSU had just done on the court. Um, because of that and what what would you make of all that well I, i'll preface this by saying that i'm not a women's ncaa division one college basketball expert by any stretch of the imagination now if this was something to do with the with the hutchinson community college women's basketball team okay i might have a a, a better more informed opinion but i'll start by saying this angel reese transfer transferred to lsu from maryland what does that mean there might be a little history there she played in the big 10 before against Caitlin Clark. So I don't know if there's any kind of history potentially between those two or not. Uh, beyond that, uh, I, I did, you know, spend a lot of time on social media about all this. And the consensus seems to be that Caitlin Clark is one of the great trash talkers in NCAA women's basketball. And that, and, and that, that's, that's perfectly fine with me. Uh, you know, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, uh, two of the greatest trash talkers of all time. The Cincinnati Bengals have been well-known these last couple of years for their trash talk. And I'll just kind of finish it by saying this, that Caitlin Clark, I think, is smart enough to know that if I talk trash and I lose, I have to take it. Mm-hmm. And now, will, will I say that Angel Reese may have gone a little bit too far? I mean, if you ask me yes or no, I'll probably say yes. 
But at the same time, like I said, Caitlin Clark is, is, from what I can gather, is well known as a trash talker in the women's game. And look at the Bengals. That, that's, that's the more recent example. They did nothing but flap their gums the entire week before they played the Chiefs <laughs> in the AFC Championship game. And what happened afterwards? You got to take it. If you're going to talk and you lose, there's nothing you can do. You got to take it. Yeah, I mean, I thought I didn't see anything that she said inappropriately um, when asked about it and all of that. I thought she's handled herself um, really well, especially in some of the aftermath with this. Um, We're not going to the White House. We're going to go to the Obamas. Now we are going (laughs) to the White House. And um, well, is Iowa invited? No, Iowa is not invited. Um, you know, Caitlin Clark was asked about that and thought, no, we shouldn't be there. That should, that's their time. They should celebrate. They should be there. They won the game. I thought she handled that all well. I thought it got, I thought that just was getting ridiculous for a couple of days there that, uh, you know, that they weren't going to go. Uh, I, that just got out of hand. <laughs> right. I mean, it was, uh, it kind of goes back to the old, uh, what, what are we doing here kind of thing, right? So uh, I, I really don't know. It it, it 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 got it got very soap opera ish, didn't it? It it, it did. It just uh, I don't know. I, I wanted it, you know. It, it should be celebrated. I mean, like you said, it could quite possibly have been the best women's tournament ever, and it just seems like that kind of stuff kind of deflects away from how good the basketball was. I will say this much though. If LSU and, and Iowa play again next year in the NCAA tournament, especially if they play again in the Final Four. Watch out. That will be – there's going to be twice as many eyeballs on that TV set next uh, next year if they play again. Yeah, I mean, I think what what the tournament this year did, I mean, it, it has raised, raised college women's basketball to a little bit higher level. Um, and that, that, that's I, – I don't see any bad thing about that. That's just – I think that's just great for the women's game. I think it's great for the game of basketball um, – that, that it was that great. And like you said, may have surpassed the men's tournament this year. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good deal for women's basketball. You know, there's been a lot of great players through the years, Scott. I mean, we're talking, you know, and a lot of great storylines. I mean, UConn was kind of that team that may, that you maybe tuned in to see if they would lose. And they, you know, never did. But uh, same thing with Tennessee back in the day. And you have players yeah. like, you know, Brittany Griner and Maya Moore and uh, Diana Taurasi. I mean, you had some of just the best players out there. And some compelling storylines, but this year, just uh, for for whatever reason, just really seemed to trump it all. It did, and I hope it's uh, I hope it's even better, like you said, next year. So that's kind of the little wrap up of our NCAA men's and women's basketball tournament. A little bit more basketball talk before we move on, Brad. The uh, one of the two uh, professional basketball teams in Wichita I cover, the Wichita Wizards, have gotten their season underway here in the last couple of weeks um they won their home opener and the season opener uh 115 to 106 over the kansas city stealth and then this last weekend uh missing one of their top players due to a concussion sustained in the first game they fell at the um oklahoma city servants which won the postseason tournament last year 129 105 they are at home at Fringe University this Sunday against the Oklahoma City Lightning at two o'clock. But Brad, I wanted to go back to that home opener. Um, it's it far surpassed, in my opinion, any game that the Wizards played last year in both 
the crowd attendance, we had a fantastic crowd, um, bettered any crowd by far that we had last year. And then just, this is a new league. They're in the Mid-America Basketball Association this year. Um, The quality and level of play, you could just see it. It was a back and forth, wonderful game. Each team would make a, a run. No team ever led, I don't think, by double figures. Nine or ten was the biggest lead either way. Uh, the crowd was into it. It was just, um, it just felt like the the Wizards in this new league have already taken a little bit of a step forward. And and I, I'm excited to get back there and, and and see them this Sunday. But it was a fantastic start. Um, now about a week and a half ago. Well, it's not easy to uh, to develop minor league sports, with maybe the exception of baseball, and and I would say hockey also because they're affiliated with uh, Major League Baseball in the, in the NHL in, in many cases. So you're seeing, you know, guys who are on their way up or maybe rehabbing a, a couple times. So, you know, minor league basketball and, uh, you know, in, or indoor arena football and those uh, kind of lesser leagues like the USFL, not always the easiest sells in the world, but it does look like that these minor league basketball teams in Wichita, there are they're, they're, they're trying, you know, like they're, they're putting a real effort into them right now. Um, you know, the Wizards and I can't remember the one that plays at Coke Arena, but, you know, I see stuff on my timeline all the time about, you know, these uh, the different promotions that they have coming up. And, you know, I, I, I just think that um, it just feels like that they're putting a, that both of them are putting a real effort into this. Yeah, you're, you're referring to the Sky Kings. There you it, go. Thank you. Um, they are actually, I believe, associated with or right below the G League level. So that's a little higher level than than the Wizards. These are guys that are trying to um, basically get contracts in the G League or a, uh, a league that um, parallels the G League of the NBA. Um, most of the players... Uh, on the Wizards team and stuff, they're trying to maybe get a, a chance to go overseas and play in some of those leagues. So it's a, it's 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 a little different, but again, I think both can, I think both have their niche, and I think it's going to be interesting to see. I'm interested to see how the season plays out. The the, the Wizards have kind of changed. Um, their tallest player is six six or six seven, I believe this year after last season, they decided they they needed to get smaller and more athletic. So um, they're going to push the tempo. There's no doubt about it. Um, just shot the ball horribly this last weekend from, from three in, in the foul line. So if they can, if they can get that to come around, um, we'll see, but it's, it's a fun product. I encourage everybody to, to get out and, and take it in as very affordable as well. Yeah, that's uh, that, and that's the thing is it's it's got to be affordable because if you, if it's not affordable, then you know who's going to come out and you know if you want to give these people a, a try into minor league basketball, what do you have to do? You have to make it affordable for them to come out. So definitely want to encourage people to go down and uh, you know give the Wizards a look. Sounds like it's a lot of fun. It is KCAC Sports slash Friends. It's on the Friends uh, website there for for people who want to listen. If you can't make it out again, they will play the OKC Lightning Sunday at 2 o'clock. Well, a lot of uh, baseball going on, of course, this time of year, Brad. The Royals are are off and stumbling uh, <laughs> instead of running, I guess I will say. is Boy, they did just what you talked about, Brad, not wanting to avoid doing. They stumbled out of the gate, started 1-6. and six. Um, They start tonight at Texas three and seven overall out of the season. And of course the first thing that just 
jumps off the page out, especially the, the first couple, three games, is the inability to get runs. I mean, they got shut out in their first two games. They're pitching, um, I think, maybe a little ahead of expectations. But boy, this is a team so far been challenged to, to score any runs at all. Yeah. <laughs> Man. You know, I, I have my complaints about not being able to see the, the, the club and all that due to contract disputes. I do have MLB TV for free this year, but of course they're they're uh, they're blocked out in Kansas. Out there, so, yeah. yeah. But um, you know, I still follow the the scores and and get live updates and listen to them in the car and I, I it's a, it's a longer rain for a longer day, Scott. But you know, they mm-hmm. want a new stadium downtown. And I really think that's – I'll be sad to see Coughlin go, yeah, but, you know, we were awful against the Twins. We were awful against the Blue Jays, except for that 9-5 to win. Uh, Played better against the Giants. You know, took two out of three on the West Coast. Uh, Just so we're we're recording on Monday, just getting curb stomped tonight by the the Texas Rangers. I mean, it's just just terrible tonight, down 11-2. to I, I I just don't see um, – I just don't understand, man. What's going on? I mean, they're, they're, it, it, what happened all those years in the early 2000s, Scott? They were out of it by the end of April. Mm-hmm. And, and that it, – it's, it's going in that direction again. They're going to they're gonna waste Bobby Witt. They're going to waste uh, uh, an entire generation of fans by not having their games accessible. I mean – I, I'm frustrated. I'm upset that this is they're, – they're about to enter a KU football era, I, I, <laughs> I fear. That's how bad I, I have a feeling about this. Uh, we're, we're about to re-enter the mid-2000s, I, and I hate to say that, but that, it's, it, that's what it feels like, Scott. It, it, it really does. Um, and it's so unfortunate. I think it could be so avoidable as well. I know, I know small markets have, have challenges, but – um, I mean, we're talking nine. We're talking eight years ago, Brad. They were atop the baseball world. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, and how and how are we back here? I mean, I understand you, that. Again, I understand the way small markets work, but there's small market teams that can stay competitive at least. I mean, 500, a little better, challenging for the playoffs, even when they're not a real championship contender but to go from championship and then three years later to to, you know last place and now you know they're three and seven gonna be three and eight um yeah i'm with you Uh, i guess a little of the bright spot was the uh naming of the fourth ever captain of the royals the salvador perez was named captain that was uh, quite a monumental moment um salvi pretty um humbled by that i think that that was a nice moment for him yeah it, it was scott and um you know he, he's kind of mr royal right now just kind of like you know through the years like whether it's uh george brett or or, um, or mike sweeney or you know alex gordon you know those those are the kind of the the uh the mr royal guys and it's definitely uh, a positive thing to see that they've uh that it's turned uh, positive for for Salvi like that you know he's a Mr. Royal he's gonna have his number of tire private statue one day and you know with a few more good seasons uh, possibly a, pro, a Major League Baseball Hall of Famer. 
Well, let's stay with uh, a little baseball. We'll jump around a little bit because I wanted to go back to one other basketball story here in a little bit. But um, how about the uh, talk about positive stories, Brad? How about the Tampa Bay Rays off to a historical 10 and 0 start, just blasting people out of the gate? Um, I haven't picked up the scoreboard tonight to see if they are playing, but uh, wow, Tampa Bay. Again, a historical start to the season. They are 10-0. and 0. <laughs> How come the Royals can't get that once? <laughs> well, now, look, uh, look, Tam- you know, Royals got to have a World Series and, and uh, a couple pennants and all that, and those were great seasons and all that. But, yeah, it's, you know, good for Tampa. It's good to see these small market teams doing that. So we'll kind of keep an eye on Tampa. Another thing, and then the Royals actually did this, Brad. We talked about some of the – the rule changes, and, and and we won't get into the pitch clock. I mean, it's having, uh, it's having its effect. I mean, did you did you see the game that uh, Shohei Itani um, managed to get a violation both on the mound and at the plate? Did, <laughs> did you see that game? I, I did not. Yeah, he managed to get a pitch clock violation while throwing on the mound, and then when he came to bat, I believe he was probably the designated hitter um, in that game. Also getting a pitch clock violation so there's there's that going on but um you know they outlawed the infield shifts well the the key an operative word there brad is infield so what have teams started doing including the royals they're shifting the outfield now have you seen this well i have seen how teams are still kind of playing the shift as much as possible you know pretty much having the the short stop behind second base maybe a couple feet to the right and then the short and then the third baseman playing where the shortstop plays so yeah the, the they, they have uh outlawed the shift and all that but i i noticed that at least from an infield perspective you know teams are still moving over they're moving what they can but what i'm referring to the outfield i have seen teams that will actually because you cannot put the shortstop or second baseman um across the bag on the other side they have to be on their side of the bag when the ball is pitched, but some teams, and I don't know what, if they're doing, they're bringing the center fielder, I be, but I believe they're bringing the left fielder over to center field and they're putting the center fielder down into a short right center center field. Basically what they used to do by pulling the shortstop or second baseman out into shallow right field. They're actually now doing that with the outfielder. So they're kind of, to me, circumventing the rule, but there's no rule against the outfield shift. At least until next year, right? Until next year, yeah. I mean, what what do you think about that? I mean, you're t- to me, I just I don't know. You get in the batting cage and you learn to slap one if you're if you're a lefty. You learn to slap one over to the left side because there's nobody there. But nobody would do it with the infield shift. So what makes me think they're going to do it with the outfield shift? I don't know. I I, I just think it's. Um... I guess a lot of it's just how the game has changed. You know, now it's all about the long ball and and all that, but. Um... Yeah, I always felt like, well, you know, if we don't like to shift, why not just put a couple bunts down the third base line? That, 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 that'll get rid of it almost instantaneously. Yeah, but, but the amazing thing was, Brad, nobody did it. Nope. I, I, I do not, and especially with the wooden bat, it's so much easier than an aluminum, like at the college level. And, and nobody would do it. They would continue to, to bat the same way they always did. It just, it boggles my mind. I mean, it, as a baseball kind of, purist i love to see the small ball putting the bunts down isn't it common sense you hit the ball to where there isn't anybody 
I mean, I mean in theory, yeah. But like I said, I, this it's just how the game has changed. I, you know, I I I don't like some of the change how the game has changed in many ways. You know, again, it's all about the long ball and the strikeout. Basically, you know, it, it feels like for some guys, it's either a strikeout or a home run anymore, and that's just unfortunately kind of how the game is has morphed. Yeah, it really has, but that, that that's something that we have seen. And again, the Royals have also employed. Um, the outfield shift. So we'll see how how many teams start to do that with some of the the pure pull hitters that will come to the plate. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, high school baseball, Brad. What what have you seen early nice stories? I've been able to. Uh, um, I'm going to be filling in some for our usual McPherson announcer, Grant Barrett. He's going to have some dates. He's going to be gone. Also, congratulations to Grant. He's going to be having a baby at the end of April. So I'm filling in a little bit from McPherson baseball. Got re- treated to a great game between the number one team in 4A, the MAC Bullpups, and the number one team in 3A Collegiate. They split that doubleheader. Um, those are two teams certainly going to be a factor in the postseason. But who else has kind of grabbed your attention? I know it's early. Most teams somewhere in the neighborhood of six, eight games played so far. You know, Beeler's off to a six and two start. Uh... Definitely having an exciting brand of baseball. They're uh, among the tops in the uh, 4A West and runs scored at 11 and a quarter per game. They're also giving up seven and a half runs per game, which is the most among the top six teams in 4A West. So uh, I guess my point is, if you want to see some, uh, if, if you're into high scoring baseball games, uh, it looks like Bueller's have definitely put on a show. And uh, boy, once again, it just looks like that 4A West. You know, you got all these different schools from all these different leagues that play all these different schedules. And it looks like, again, we could have one of those situations where, you know, a 12-8 and 8 record may not be good enough to even get you a home game or, or a top eight seed or anything like that. Uh, you may have to go something like 16-4 and four maybe to, to host a regional. You know, looking at the top, you got Clay Center. Then you got Rose Hill, Augusta, and Bueller. And then Mac right behind them. But then uh, loitering right behind them are Lions and Abilene. So, and even Chapman's not too far. Larned is 4A this year because they co-op with La, with Lacrosse. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I you know 4A again with all these different schools playing all these different schedules. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting fight for the not not just the top eight but especially the top four. Yeah, it looks like the host sites there, um, McPherson and Ottawa, uh, right now in 4A that I'm looking at the uh, uh, and also sites to be determined at a seating meeting. But that's where the uh, the seating meeting will be held at McPherson and Ottawa determine all of those locations. So let's let's go down to the teams we see a lot, 4A and down into 3A. Um, some of our area teams, there's going to be a couple of them. Cheney will, and Halstead, Haven, Kingman um, are going to be at Chaparral. Uh, Hoisington, another host site, will have uh, Heston will be out there, Central Plains, Smoky Valley, Nickerson, um, who's, who's standing out? I've seen Heston. They're good. I, I really think they're going to be a factor in three a, who else you think is going to challenge in three a to, to head to state. <laughs> Once again, Haven, you think, yeah, oh, they may be a little bit down this year and there they are six and zero and undefeated. Yeah. Is, is there a, is there a sport where Haven has, where you think going into the season where, Hey, I think that they're going to be really good this year. And so thinking, well, they were so good last year. They lost so much talent, and you know it might be a rebuilding year. And I don't know how they do it in Haven. It just seems like every year, and pretty much every sport is going to be a rebuilding year. And there they are again, uh, with maybe the exception of softball. 
But you know, I see Haven six and zero. But boy, that 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 regional Scott, it's ridiculous. You got Trinity, you got Collegiate, uh, Douglas, Cheney. Um, my goodness, I, what what a loaded regional that is. You know, poor Haven just you know punished every year for uh, uh, geography. Yeah, I had Haven um, last week on Thursday at Halstead. Took the doubleheader there. Um, got complete games from both of their pitchers um, in that game. They're very solid, but as you mentioned, uh, wow. It's hard to predict them being able to get out of that regional with the team, especially collegiate. They're 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 really tough. Got a couple three really good arms. Um, I saw again that I saw a play against McPherson and split a doubleheader um, at that Hoisington one, Brad. It's hard to think uh, as I look through. I don't know what Beloit has. I look at some of the other teams in there. Uh, Smoky Valley. I know uh, Hoisington struggled a little bit this year. Nickerson's down. It, it sure feels like Heston could get out of the Hoisington Regional. Yeah, and then you got uh, Ellenwood uh, up there, usually a two-way, but they're uh, co-oping with Stafford. That's a, that's that's a heck of a trip for those Stafford kids, by the way. I think uh, going all the way to Ellenwood. Yeah. But um, yeah, it definitely looks like it's going to be a pr- pretty uh, maybe not quite as uh, as uh, open as that. Uh, other one uh, with uh, involving Haven and, and uh, Trinity and, and Collegiate, but it definitely looks like right now the Hessen seems to be maybe the favorite to win that one. Yeah, down in 2-1A, uh, Little River is hosting, Brad, but it's not going to be at Little River. They're going to actually host that um, at the home of the Blue Dragons down in, in Cary Park in South Hutch at Hobart Detterfield, uh, the air, only other area teams really in that regional with Little River that, that we cover is uh, Canton Galva, who co-ops with Elyria uh, Christian. Uh, TMP is in there. Uh, Sacred Heart. Uh, Sacred Heart, always a deceiving record. They play a tough schedule. Little River, Brad, is really, really good. They, they only have, I think, 11 or 12 players. They've got good arms. They're solid up and down the lineup. I, I, I think they've got a good chance to come out of that. Yeah, it, and, you know, the, cur- the currency of baseball is pitching, if, at the, especially at the 2-1A level, where, as you mentioned, you may only have, you know, a dozen players, and pretty much everybody needs to be ready. But still, uh, you know, for, for 3A, or for, I'm sorry, for 2A, uh, well, 3A or 2A, uh, you're going to need three pitchers uh, minimum. Uh, to start those three regional games. And then, of course, uh, again at State. And so Little River has the pitching to counter most likely what Sacred Heart also has. Yeah, Marion, unfortunately, they're right out on the edge. They got shipped up to Linden um, for their regional. Um, they, they have a solid team. Then Mound Ridge kind of encompasses the rest of our area teams. You got Trinity, Inman, Mound Ridge, Sedgwick, Remington, um, Wichita Independent also in their independence had some great teams over the years. Um, I know Mound Ridge has struggled out of the gate. Um, Inman's solid. That, that that should be a fun regional in Mound Ridge. And Cedric at uh, three and five right now. Uh, I'm sure that they'll be they'll be just fine. A long run. Uh, Remington looks like they got a pretty good squad this year. Uh, so some newer programs like Trinity, and, and of course it's early too. You know most teams have only played anywhere from. Uh, what four to eight games so we got over half the season still to come so it'll be a pretty uh i think it'll be a pretty competitive regional over there in mound ridge yeah we'll look a little deeper at those uh when teams are starting to get into that second half of the season get 12 14 games uh, under their belt 
some of the Ed Asher. I'm actually going to have softball tomorrow over at Mound Ridge. They're hosting Bennington, um, Bueller Circle this week, Winfield McPherson. Um, also have Little River Baseball at Trinity on Thursday this week. And again, that whole Ad Astra schedule up at adastraradio.com and the sports page. Well, a little basketball talk again as I went back over my my notes for this evening. Uh, we, we did have a championship at KU this year, Brad. Uh, the Kansas Jayhawk women's basketball team, winners of the women's NIT tournament, they defeated uh, Columbia in the championship game, 66 to 59. I think that's a as a wonderful run for the KU women. They had a solid season again, just missing out on the NCAA tournament. But kind of like um, you, you you equated it to the Sterling College men getting to play in the NCCAA tournament and not qualifying for the NAI. I think that's a nice especially winning the whole thing, a great stepping stone for a program that has been on the rise here in the last couple of years. Yeah, they won an, They won a tournament game last year. Uh, probably should have been in this year, uh, but it's always good to see them overcome that disappointment and then uh, play, what, five or six home games. Uh, hopefully developed a good fan base and, and showed them what they're capable of. Uh, they return a lot of those players. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost gotten to show me time now for Coach Schneider. Uh, the former Emporia State coach, uh, these last two years have definitely been a step in the right direction after really struggling early on. But uh, now I, I think for, for Schneider, now at the point where, you know, yes, it was nice making a tournament last year and winning game. Yes, it was nice winning the WNIT this year. But now it's kind of show me time. Now you got to start becoming a regular NCAA tournament team, I think. What do you really feel like, you know, obviously um... – the, the men's team at KU is always going to dominate uh, the headlines, but what do you really feel like the, the ceiling is for that program? How, how good do you, do you really think that KU women's basketball can become? I just think that more than anything else, I, I have heard uh, some people describe Kansas women's basketball as a sleeping giant in the NCAA. I'm not sure if I would quite go that far. Uh, but I do think that Kansas, there's no reason not to expect KU women's basketball to be a regular NCAA tournament team, you know, and kind of contend maybe every now and then for a Big 12 championship. Uh, they did, definitely have had some good teams in the past. They've produced some NBA players. You know, I remember Danielle McCray, and then back when I was at KU, Angela Acock and Tamika Dixon and Lynn Pride were all some great players. And, of course, they have arguably the greatest women's basketball player ever in Lynette Woodard hanging from the rafters. So it's – um. It's it, it's I, I, I'm not sure that fans right now would say that uh, got to win, you know, big 12 championships and get to the final four. But I do think it's not unreasonable to say this should be an annual NCAA tournament team. I think that's that would be a fantastic accomplishment if you're in year in, year out, you're in the tournament. Uh, maybe you make that run the, the sweet 16 elite eight um, once in a while. I think that would be a great a great accomplishment for KU women's basketball, which, um, you know, over the years has not been, you know, highly accomplished. But again, in recent memory, uh, hopefully that measuring stick in the bar has been raised by the uh, WNIT uh, women's champion, the KU women, defeating Columbia. Well, uh, before we leave the uh, baseball talk brad what are you seeing out of the jayhawk conference right now i've got the 
the standings up in front of me, you know, the Hutch Blue Dragons, Red. It looks like it's been uh, a roller coaster ride there in the West right now. They're 10 and 10, uh, 19 and 18 overall. Barton leads the West uh, 14 and 2. They're 35 and 4 overall. And, you know, uh, a little bit maybe of a surprise. Cowley right now is a game behind Johnson in the East standings, 17 and 3 and 18 and 2. Um, Cowley 23 and 11 overall and Johnson, an impressive 34 and six record. Um, what do, what do you make of the Jayhawks so far about, uh, probably about halfway through their conference season? Well, it seems that it may be a little bit more open, uh, this year than maybe in previous years. I think what I like, uh, from what I see from the standings, you know, Barton at the top and then you got Cowley and Johnson also, but. Uh, you know, Dodge has shown some good things. Butler and even Hutch has shown some good things. And, you know, Hutch still has to play the bottom two teams in the conference in Colby and Garden City. Just weird seeing Garden City at the at the basement of the Jayhawk West in baseball. A great tradition, a great program. And 7-32, and 32 just it just seems weird to me. But, you know, if you know if Hutch can go 8-0 uh, in those, in those uh, eight games, and then they also have to play uh, Barton, and, you know, hey, you, you get a win there. And maybe even get a split in that series. Uh, you know, they can finish up 10 and 2, and all of a sudden they're looking at, you know, 20 and 12 and uh, potentially, you know, a top four placement. So, but again, uh, with uh, with uh, Colby and Garden City coming up, uh, there's really no margin for error. I think um, at worst they, got, they have to go 7 and 1 in those eight games there. The way it's shaping up, Cowley's showing some chinks in the armor for the first time. And, in really several years, I mean, obviously you're you're not counting them out at, at any stretch. Um, Johnson, boy, look looking good. Casey Cade down a little bit. They were really good last year, but what what it looks like is as I get the opportunity to to do some games at the Region Six tournament, it looks like the Region Six this year, Brad. Like you said, that that could be, boy, that could be wide wide open this year for you know three four teams easy could be favored to win that. When you look at the East, and uh, it seems to be a little bit more top-heavy than the West with Johnson and Cali. Fort Scott sitting in fourth place right now with a 500 record. Then you look at the West, Hutch is, a, is also 500, but sitting in sixth right now. So yeah. uh, definitely seems like to be a, maybe a little bit more top-heavy on the East side. So does that mean that you know the West is more balanced, more competitive? I, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know We'll find out in time. Uh, but a, a, good, a good measuring stick for Hutch this weekend. Uh, Scott, they have their Jayhawk West by. And what do they do? They decided to play Cowley. That is <laughs> that is interesting scheduling. Uh, where are those games at? Uh, it's 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 just a regular four game set. They're going to do a four game set when they yep, had uh, just like a regular conference uh, week. You know, Thursday Saturday, each team hosts a doubleheader, and just like anything else, uh, is just uh, I, I kind of like that. I, uh, I don't. I think at this point in the season, inactivity may be your worst enemy than than just to keep playing. Um, especially if you've got some things you're still wanting to work out, um, I like it. So we'll we'll keep track of uh, we'll keep track of the Region Six and the, and the Jayhawk as we move forward, especially into May when we get closer to the Region Six tournament. Well, Brad, you ready for some uh, obscure baseball facts again this week? Hit it with me. All right, uh, this is a good one here, Brad. Uh, and I'm not aware this may have happened before, but it's, it has to be rare. There's a, a gentleman by the name of Brady Ware. He <laughs> plays for the University of Indianapolis. 
Um, it's a Division II school, obviously, in Indianapolis, Indiana. O'Brady had a fantastic day on the mound the other day. He went uh, complete seven innings. They the one Indianapolis won the game in seven innings. No hitter. He didn't allow any runs. Struck out eleven. And you know, great great game. But that's maybe not that uncommon to have a no hitter in seven innings. Well, he also hit for the cycle <laughs> in the ball game. Four for four. He drove in five. He had the single, the double, the triple. And the home run. I mean, they're they're comparing this to Shohei Atani type levels, but yeah, it has a, a no hitter in seven innings, didn't allow a run, strikes out eleven, and then drives in five and hits for the cycle in the same game. That's just, I mean, good grief. That's that that's just unheard of. It is unheard of. Almost kind of reminds me of an unheard of uh, when it comes to minor league baseball. I don't know if you saw this, but there's a couple minor league teams that played each other. Final score is seven to five. Nothing unusual about that. But the team that scored seven runs got no hit. Yeah, that was my ne- that was my next one. I was oh, gonna... I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. But that, but yeah, um, I, I'd have to do some more research to see if if that has happened where the same person. I mean, you might have had it happen in the same game before to have a no hitter and then somebody hit for the cycle. But the same guy does both. I mean. That's like I said. If that, if that has happened, this has to be on a really, really short list. Yeah, that's a uh, quite quite remarkable to see. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like uh, someone seeing someone hit for the natural cycle or hit the. Uh, I, I recall this happened a couple of years ago. Someone hit for the home run cycle. They hit one home run, a solo, a two run shot, a three run homer, and and, and a grand slam. So wow. I just like seeing those kind of obscure moments happen, uh, or the remarkable moments that are obscure too. Yeah. So that's Brady Ware again. That's a D two school. Uh, the University of Indiana, and then what you referred to, Brad. Don't, don't you love major or minor league baseball with some of the names they come up with for mascots? Yeah, there was a. I don't know if they still exist anymore, uh, but you know the Savannah. Well, yeah, we we know the Savannah Bananas still exist, but I remember there's a a minor league team. I can't remember if it was baseball or hockey. They're called the Macon Whoopie. <laughs> <laughs> the Macon Whoopie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> can you can you can you imagine some of the promotional advertisements for the Macon Whoopie? <laughs> well, we could, they could they could be the Macon Bacon maybe instead, but uh, yeah, I I, I I I like you, Scott. I'm I'm kind of a fan of the obscure and, and kind of the 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 odd the oddities in sports and uh, mascots and nicknames are definitely one of the. Uh, so yeah, uh, what, what what do you got there? Well, uh, the game you're referring to occurred in Double uh, A. It was the Chattanooga Lookouts and the Rocket City Trash Pandas. <laughs> Chattanooga won the game seven to five, and as you mentioned, they were no hit and won the game. And all seven runs were scored in the same inning. It yeah, I think it was the ninth inning, wasn't it? I think it was the seventh inning of this okay. this game. Uh, they scored the seven runs, of course, on no hits. There were five walks, four batters hit, an error, and a wild pitch in the inning for them to score seven obviously unearned runs to, to, to get no hit. I mean, I have seen teams um, – get no or throw a no hitter and lose you yep. know like one nothing or two nothing or something like that but to uh 
to throw a no hitter and lose seven to five? Has has that ever happened? I mean, I I, I remember a time where Andy Hawkins, a Yankees pitcher, threw a no hitter and lost four to nothing. Um, again, not not totally uncommon to throw a no hitter and lose, but to lose seven to five, I mean. <laughs> I, I don't recall ever seeing anything like that before. Oh, I mean, uh, talk about no help behind you there. But, I mean, obviously, but, but you got to take a little responsibility yourself. If you, if you plunk four and walk five, um, your your pitchers weren't exactly doing themselves any any favors. But, yeah, the, the Chattanooga lookouts win over the, again, the trash pandas of Rocket City. Um, and only in minor league baseball. Can you come up with it seven to five and get no hits? So that was, uh, yeah, th- these pop up all the time. I just have to get those written down. And I, I just love sharing those things. Those are only, only in baseball where they keep track of everything. Could that happen? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just, you know, get the obscure things that happen, you know, the, the, the walk, the walk off wild pitch where the guy scores from second base or something like that. Yeah. The, it, it, it usually happens at the lower levels of baseball. That's why I love baseball though. Cause you see stuff like you just never see before. Yeah. Well, that, that is the uh, regular segment for our show. So we'll go ahead and move into your final thoughts. All right. Well, one, one team around here that probably doesn't really get the recognition that they have deserved lately, uh, especially here in the last couple of years, is the uh, Blue Dragon softball team at Hutchinson Community College. So I'm not sure how well-versed you are in JUCO softball, Scott, but do you know who the Kansas power is in softball? And it, it's not it, – uh, traditionally, it's not Hutch, but do you know who it usually is? In JUCO baseball? In JUCO softball. Oh, and Juco softball. Um, I have heard this, but I have forgotten who it was. Uh, Butler has been, Butler. Uh, you know, the, the national power. They got a couple national championships and all that. So Butler has really been uh, the power. Now Hutch has kind of toggled between Division One and Division Two. Butler's always been Division One. So Hutch and Butler haven't always played each other. Maybe in non-conference play, but Hutch has recently. Uh, let's see if I've got my uh, numbers up here. I think since it's been 2017, uh, Hutch has been Division One, so they will play uh, Butler every year. Is that right? No, yeah, that is right. Okay, so in that time, Scott, here, here's what Butler has done. So 2017, uh, Butler went undefeated in conference play. All right? 2018, Butler went undefeated in conference play 2019 butler went 25 in one in conference play the one team that beat them in conference play was barton so three years in one loss 2020 which was unfortunately the covid year uh, butler only got four uh conference games in they were off to a great start again they were three and one in conference play who was their one loss to to hutch so now in the span of four years they have two losses and one was to hutch so then you got the post-COVID year. Butler went 26-0 in league play. So now you've got five years and just two losses uh, for, for Butler softball. Now we're up into 2022, where Butler went 30-2 in league play. Their two losses to Hutch. So now you've got, a, what, in a span of six years, four total losses, three to Hutch. This year, Butler is 19-3. Two of those three losses to Hutch. 
So that means now in a span of, what, seven years, they've lost a grand total of, oh, my math is off, like seven conference games altogether, and Hutch has, has, has beaten them four of those six conference losses. Right now, Hutch is 17-3. and three. Uh, They're in second place behind Butler, who's played two more games than Hutch has, so Hutch has the two games in hand right now. And Coach Jamie Rose, who's been here since 2005, has been a very steady, you know, the program has been very steady, but these last maybe five years, they've really started to take off and become a challenger to Butler, which is not easy. Won't be easy again this year. Butler's 28-9, Hutch is 29-6. But uh, what Jamie Rose has done to build a program that can now annually challenge Butler, uh, and when you're, when you're pretty much the only Kansas team that's shown the ability to beat Butler, that's quite remarkable, and uh, I think that they've got a good chance this year. They've obviously they've split both double headers with them. Incidentally, Scott, neither uh, the first double header was close five four Hutch wins, six five Hutch loss. But how about the last double header last week in El Dorado, seven to two Hutch win, nine one Hutch loss. <laughs> so it's been a pretty remarkable seeing that. So Hutch will be playing a, a tough Barton team coming up on Wednesday, but I think it it will be really neat to see Jamie Rose break down that door. And take her team to the Nationals. They've got the they've got the power. They've got the pitching. They've got everything that they can need to make a run. Uh, they just may have to they just may have to beat Butler a couple more times. But if anyone can do it, as we've seen through the years, it is Hutch. Well, you know, sometimes there's certain matchups for whatever reason, and this can span over a number of years like this has. That sometimes teams just match up well. Um, with another opponent. Do you, do you really feel like that's becoming the case that Hutch just is able to match up better than anybody else with Butler? I think part of it is mental, Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, Hutch just is not intimidated by Butler. You know, I think Butler, uh, through the years, a lot of times, they show up to the games and it's over already. I mean, they're just they're, they're playing 10 innings. They got a couple of mercy rules and uh, they're, they're heading back to El Dorado. Uh, for Hutch, that's not the case. I don't think they're intimidated at all. They They They've beaten Butler enough. They know they can beat Butler. They've and, and frankly, I think they also have not just the pitching to counter. They've got the power in their lineup to counter uh, that pitching. They've got several players who are capable of going deep, just like Butler does. So I, I just think that they have found out a way. I, I think that Jamie Rose has almost built her program in a way that says, okay, we're going to build a program for to, to beat one team, and that's Butler. Well, a lot of times you, you have to do that. I mean, what, what's everybody in the AFC West doing right now in the NFL? Uh, not beating the Chiefs. Well, that and they're trying to put together teams to beat the Chiefs. I mean, right. and when you we stand and it's, it's going to be the same way in Jayhawk baseball. What are you doing? You're putting together a team right now to beat Cowley. Um, that's, that's who's dominated the last several years. It's been the Cowley Tigers. You're putting together a team that can beat Cowley, and I think that's exactly what, as you mentioned, uh, Jamie Rose is and has done there at Hutch. It's a team that can compete with and beat Butler, and, and it'll be fascinating to see if they can get over the hump this year. Yeah, it will be. They kind of had some bad luck last year in, in regional play when they lost to Seward, but uh, still, uh, it, it's going to be a team that I fully expect to be playing on the last day of the Region 6 tournament. Well, we will we'll keep track of the uh, again the KJC conference as we move closer into May when these tournaments um, come right around the corner. And it won't be long. We'll look up and we will be there. Well, I was going to go back a little bit, Brad, to our opening uh, topics of the NCAA tournament, and there was a 
uh, a big announcement uh, going into the tournament and then, of course, the championship game, Brad, that the longtime uh, voice of the NCAA tournament, Jim Nance, um, was going to be calling his final championship game. I believe it was his 33rd, if I uh, recall correctly, um, being on the, the play-by-play for the NCAA men's tournament championship game and he's 63 years old he has said he's going to continue on um, being on with the masters which was just this last weekend and of course the nfl he's going to continue doing that i think it's just at 63 years old he was uh, ready to maybe take a little something off his plate ian eagle is going to be the new voice there um, he's fantastic on the nfl coverage i think he'll do well but um when I think it, what we do and, and, and when we try to model ourselves after um, people that we would like to, to, to broadcast like, I think Jim Nance has got to be right there at the top of that list. I mean, the, the versatility he's shown, I mean, he's so good with the Masters. If you've ever watched him do that, he, he's great on the NFL and, of course, has been fantastic over all these years with the NCAA basketball tournament. And it, it's going to be different. Like I said, I think Ian Eagle is going to do a fantastic job, but to, to lose Jim Nance, that's, that, that's going to be felt next year. I, I guarantee it. Yeah. I mean, Jim Nance is, uh, you know, iconic when it comes to the final four. I always liked his uh, kind of predetermined calls. Uh, definitely has the iconic voice. He, uh, uh, just like a very smooth delivery. He never really got too high, never got too low. Uh, I was kind of selfishly hoping that Kevin Harlan would take over, but I think Harlan uh, prefers radio to TV and Westwood one. Uh, but yeah, I think Ian Eagle will do a fantastic job. Yeah. So again, if, uh, if, if I could model myself at all and be anywhere near like Jim Nance was, you'd, you'd be so fortunate. He's like you said, he, he always seemed to be so uh, he, he was excited, but he was always even keeled. If that makes sense, he didn't get too high or too low. But you, you could just tell, loved, loved the game, was so fantastic at what he did. And, and we, we sure look forward to seeing him. Um, we saw him this weekend with the Masters. We will again with the NFL. But we, he will be missed um, next year at the NCAA tournament. Well, I know you guys will all miss us, but we will be back and better than ever next week um, with you and go over some of the the week's topics, but for tonight's View from the Press Box, for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. We'll see you next week.